Ben Nash here. I'm a co-founder at XY Advisor and founder of financial advice business, Pivot Wealth. My business baby, I started from scratch a bit over six years ago. In that time, I have leveraged some of the learnings of the XY community to scale the business and become one of the better known financial advice businesses for high income accumulators. You can join me each Tuesday as I have the privilege of interviewing some amazing people where I'll selfishly be able to uh, continue my personal journey to improve every aspect of my advice process and hopefully you can learn a few things on the journey as well. Jump over to xyadvisor.com if you haven't signed up already to share and learn from other advisors or simply download the app. Accelerating innovation and globalization trends are disrupting global markets. We are a new generation asset management team that looks beyond traditional public markets to understand how innovation and disruption can benefit everyone. We are uniquely structured to solve the underweight to accelerating global innovation as we transition from Web 2.0 into Web 3.0. Our competitive advantage lies in the integration of our deep asset management and technology expertise under one aligned group to capitalize on the exponential opportunities of Web 3.0. The opportunities are for everyone. Invest different with Holon. Hey guys, Ben Nash from the XY Advisor team. And today I'm pumped to be here with a superstar advisor and a good mate of mine, Corey Wassell. He is the founder of Verse Wealth based down in the great state of Victoria. Um, Corey and I sort of came up together through the ranks of Synchron way back when and uh um, yeah, man, I'm pumped to to get a bit of an update on where things are at. I cheekily picked your brain a little bit before we fired up the uh, the old recording here. So plenty of gold, mate, but thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Ben. I've uh, been looking forward to it. And just thinking about um, coming up the ranks, I'm not sure how far we've, we've come up, but I do remember when we started. I remember when you started Pivot. Uh, that was soon after we started Verse. And I don't know if you recall, but we were having a couple of drinks at our old like Wharf Hotel office down in the great state of Victoria, playing some table tennis over a beer or two. I do. I do yeah. indeed. T- times have changed, mate. Now we have to be home by five and change diapers and <laughs> get, do, the, do the nightly routine and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's all fun. All of that fun stuff. I've got the pass. I, I get to be 15 minutes late tonight just so I can chat with you, Corey. So, um, no, mate, I'm okay. needing some gold, okay? All right? Okay. We'll, we'll, no promises. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Mate, I'm keen to uh, firstly pick your brain around, you know, hiring team and recruitment. I know that culture is something that's really important to you and and your business and you put in a ton of work uh, around that. Um, Obviously, you kicked a bunch of goals since starting your business, um, as you said, a bit over six years ago. You might be coming up to seven, I suppose, um, given that you kicked around a little bit before us. Uh, but now, like it's it's uh, you know building team and going through some of the same challenges that I'm facing in my planning business yeah. um, as well. And I think you like me realize that over time, like your your business essentially becomes your team and and what you do. So, what are some yeah. of the lessons that you've learned over over the years when it comes to building and growing a a, a truly exceptional team? Mm. I've learned a lot of lessons, um, you know, and, and kind of to the point you were making, like hiring for me personally is becoming a much bigger focus. A lot more of my time and energy and thinking goes into how do we hire well with consistency um, because like no one's perfected hiring. Um, 
it's not that easy because you're hiring humans and there's a whole bunch of things you've got to get right and a whole bunch of things that can go wrong as well. Um, so I guess in terms of some of the things that we've learned, I've learned thinking about it, number one is that we're now really fixated on hiring for two things, to keep it really simple, hiring for culture and hiring for high performance. Um, and when we first started, like we've had, like you said, we've had this real obsessive focus on building a great culture and a great environment, having people aligned to that. And we'll never, we'll never lose sight of that. But I think early on, um, I had the blinkers on and that was all I was really focused on. And I kind of had this, I guess, naive notion that if there are cultural fit, everything else will just kind of work out. Um, mm. But ultimately, yeah, but ultimately, you know, to, to survive and thrive adverse and for the, the team and the clients to really prosper in the way that we want, you've got to be both a cultural fit and a high performer. And what we've done over time is as we've built and refined and can continue to refine um, the hiring process is, you know, have elements uh, built in where we're fixated on making sure someone's a cultural fit. And then we're also um, trying to identify the likelihood or the drivers um, that will result in someone being a high performer in the role. Because, I mean, whenever you're hiring, really, to keep it really simple, like any employer wants to either find a high performer or someone that can quickly get to be a high performer. And if mm. over time, after investing the time, the energy, the resources, you can't get someone to be a high performer, if you're a high-performing team, then you reach a point where you perhaps need to make a decision on exiting that person and making some space for someone that can be a high performer, like like an elite sporting team. Um, yeah. And uh, so what... What we've done is, I guess, the cultural side of things is more the art of the hiring process and working out, you know, what's this person like? Are they going to fit in the environment? Well, are they, are they going to get on with people? Are, are they someone that I want to spend eight, nine hours a day with? You know, is their energy just going to make make life better? And philosophically, are they aligned with how we do things and see the world in terms of advice? And and we get the team involved in that process as well. So we run a cultural interview with everyone. Um, where there'll be two, three verse teammates that will have a coffee or a Zoom session over an hour and really just get to know this person. And they're just trying to work out, are they going to be cultural fit? And then we ask that question afterwards. I'm not there, but they all ask that question. If anyone in the team says, no, I don't think they're going to be a cultural fit, my commitment to the team is we'll never hire that person because great culture means everyone owns it, everyone's got the right to protect it and look after it. So as a teammate at Verse, you can actually veto a hire. You really legitimately you can. And this happened last week. We're hiring an advisor and an associate. We had an associate I did the first interview with. I really liked them, liked their energy, liked what they're about. They went into the cultural interview and a head of ops and one of our associates did the interview and they both came out and said, I don't think it's a cultural fit. Here's why. I'm not sure the energy is what we're looking for. So I said, okay, well, um, I respect your judgment and um, and this is a small price to pay to have a great culture and have you guys feel like you own it because you do. So we weren't moving through the hiring process. So culture is really judgment. And then the high performance, we tried to turn more into a science. Um, to I guess to a degree. So um, we run psychometric testing um, through a firm called PeopleLogica, where what we've done is we've basically say, take take a financial advisor role. We've taken a couple of high-performing advisors adverse and we've put them through the one-hour psychometric assessment. And what it does is it tests the two things. One is cognitive abilities and the second is behavioral traits. And we've taken mm-hmm. kind of the averages of, of, of those, those two, two areas and created what we call high-performance benchmarks. And now when we put a candidate who's an advisor through that test, we benchmark them against those high-performance benchmarks that we've created internally because we know that those cognitive abilities or those behavioural traits are the things that are more likely to lead to high-performance in, in, that, in that given role. Um, yeah. It helps us better understand the candidate and how we can potentially better work with them if we do. So um, 
that's a bit about what I've learned. Other things just mm. kind of build, build on that is, um, you know, and we were just talking about this before, we, you know, pre- press play here was trying to minimize the amount of surprises. So, you know, once someone starts, because, you know, I've come to realize that like, you know, my judgment isn't nearly as good as perhaps I thought it was, you know, five, six years ago before we started hiring. Cause you, you make hiring mistakes. You don't know it at the time, but you learn these over time. And then hopefully you're really reflective and you think about how did the, where, where did I maybe miss some steps in that process and how can I refine the process to minimize the likelihood maybe something like that happens again. So, you know, part of what we've done is built this really kind of diligent, thorough process and it involves, say for an advisor again, it involves like a technical assessment, like a one-hour type exam to see where they're at, where they're not at technically. Uh, it involves role plays. So they come in, we mimic a client environment, we give them a scenario or two, um, give them whatever resources they want. They run meetings so we can kind of see what they're like, um, you know, on their feet. And, you know, we're not going to sit in a meeting with an advisor once they start and go, oh, geez, I thought it was going to be quite a bit better than this. Yeah. Um, so, you know, trying to, trying to put people, I think trying to put people under pressure is really important, really important because it's easy to interview well, particularly when there's not much pressure, but when yeah. you put people in a pressurized environment, that's where you kind of, you know, you can sort the chiff from the chaff or whatever they say, um, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, there was a pre-COVID when we hired an advisor late 2019, we ran two group interviews over two nights, six advisors, each of the nights, six or seven and um, we had them doing like public speaking on the value of advice in front of the other candidates in front of us. And, you know, we went from 12 candidates to two, just over two nights. And that was before we did any one-on-one interviews. Um, so, again, you put that pressurized environment there for them and, um, mm. you know, you, you start to see who perhaps, you know, is, is, is the real deal, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting. And I find that it's particularly, for me, I find it particularly challenging when when you're recruiting somebody because by the time, especially as a as a business owner, when by the time you get to recruiting someone, you really want to hire someone. Like that's why you start recruiting someone because you really want to hire someone. So then you start talking to people and like, I want every person that I talk to to be amazing and I want to give all of them a job. And it's really, plus I like to see the good in people. So it's like you have these conversations and uh, you want, yeah, you really want them to do well. So you're looking for the good and it's like the, you know, it's like a bit of that investor psychology stuff that you overplay the positives and you sometimes downplay the negatives and all these things. But one of the, a great lesson that I learned from a, a client of ours actually that did a, a super successful exit of a um, IT services business is that they put their candidates through a lot of different interviews with a lot of different team members and they have a rule that if anyone says no for any reason or for no reason at all, that it's just mm. automatically a no because mm. that sort of ties in with the Derek Sivers stuff that it's like hell yeah or no, which yeah. makes makes a lot of sense. And especially when mm. you are looking for high performance and to to create an, uh, an outstanding team or an exceptional team that mm. you really need to have that. And it's like, um, yeah, for, for any reason, you, it, it, it the little cracks at the front end, if you're seeing them, they turn into big cracks as you go through. Um, but you, look, you covered a lot of ground there. I think we had a pretty similar experience with the cultural value side of things. And I know that you've been supported by uh, the superstar that is Michael Back for a long time, as we have as well. Shout out to Mr. Back. <laughs> uh, but we w- used to hire people and go, oh, values, you know, values are important. And values, of mm. course, they are important and culture mm. is part of that. 
but I've hired people and, and how I learned this lesson is I hired someone that was just so aligned from a values perspective and was a very, very lovely person. But then she yeah. came into business and just could not work, like just couldn't deliver to the work. And it makes it really yeah. difficult that you go, well, I can see that you want to do it. I can see that you you are aligned here, but it's just there's also a level of output that you need to do. So I think I've been fortunate to have a mate that's an organizational psychologist by trade and he's helped us with a lot of the things that you mentioned where you have the psychometrics, you do that a little bit of a pressure cooker, but in a, in a good way to sort of tease mm-hmm. that out because ultimately, and like you say, even the pros don't get this right. You look at the big companies like Google and those tech firms that put huge resourcing into their their hiring and recruiting and they still don't, everybody that they they bring in does not work mm-hmm. out, um, that it's challenging for a small business where you've got finite resources, time and um stuff to put behind your hiring to to nail that. But the more you can do, yeah, minimising those surprises uh, goes a long way to setting the person up for success. And I think that if you're, if you're pushing, like if you're screening someone out at the front end, it's probably better for them than it the coming in and then it being a difficult situation for for everybody. Ultimately, it's not good mm. for them as much as it's not good for your business if you're bringing someone in that's not a right fit from a, work perspective culture perspective client perspective as well mm. um, yeah really really well said and that's kind of as as the owner that's kind of one of the last places you want to be essentially is where you've got someone that is a real cultural fit and they're invested in the team the culture the clients perhaps they give their all but maybe they're just not up to it they just don't have the skills or the abilities to be a high performer in the given role that they're in you know we had one of these scenarios recently where we let someone go and, uh, you know, that's not an enjoyable experience for anyone. So, again, like just being fixated on, you know, how do we minimise those surprises through the hiring process to minimise the likelihood we're going to be in the, that scenario is, you know, such a focus. Yeah, and look, I, I know that you've done a bit of advisor hiring recently. Um, it sounds like you, you're pulling in decent, like, sort of candidate numbers and interests with mm. the, you know, when you are looking for people. How have you tackled that and... Um, got like you know got the message out there so that you can make sure that you're talking to enough people that you find someone where those ducks are lining up on all of those fronts yeah good question um a few a few different things so um i mean we, we've put like the traditional seek ads out and the linkedin job ads out and up on the xy job board they're probably the three go-to places um in terms of just being a starting point um and I mean, as, you, as you'd know, like you get lots of candidates or lots of applicants, but, you know, it's only a small portion of those applicants that potentially really are someone that may, may be suitable for the role. Um, so, you know, you've got to be able to filter through all that stuff pretty quickly, the CVs and the resumes and so on. Um, I think I, from my perspective, rather than just kind of like throwing the ad out and seeing and just sitting there and waiting for what comes back, um, that's that's really reactionary. You know, you want to be as proactive as you can. You know, that old adage of, you know, you always want to be hiring. I don't know who said that, but it, it makes sense because, you know, when, yeah, when, when you're a growing firm, um, you know, you, you, your success is going to be defined by the quality of the people that you get. And when you need them, if you're growing, you typically need them quickly as well. So what you don't mm-hmm. want is to just throw a seek out out, just be relying on that and just hoping that something falls in your lap. You want to be out there constantly, you know, meeting people in the industry, advisors and associates and power planners and whoever, um, and, build, and, and, and filtering all the time, you know, and finding those people that you think potentially might be A, a cultural fit, be a high performer, 
and nurturing a relationship. You know, and that doesn't mean having coffee every fortnight, but it means maybe, you know, finding on LinkedIn, sending a message, catching up for a Zoom or a coffee, getting to know them a bit, touching base in the future. Out and, you know, like you'd know, quite often um, you might find the right person, but maybe the timing's not right as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. constantly kind of nurturing a network of, you know, potential, you know, versus teammates is something that I think about and, and try and do amongst all the other things that you're doing sort of today. <laughs> Which is yeah. a lot. There's a lot of lot of blades to keep spinning, but as you yeah. said, there's a lot of ducks to to line up um, with that. But obviously, something super valuable to to get right. So, uh, yeah, and watch this space. I've just been making a few notes there, so I'll put a few of those things in practice off the back today. Thank you. Buddy. Most of what I've learned, I've learned from you anyway. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure those notes aren't very long. Mate, I'm keen to change gears a little bit and talk about your service solution and development. I know that you've been at it for you know a little while. What, what's changed? What's changed in terms of what you deliver or how you deliver what you deliver in um, since the you know the early evolution of your business? Okay, how long have we got then? <laughs> well, Clayton <laughs> told me that I need to keep these succinct. So if you could give us the bullet points. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So. Um... I mean, a, a lot's changed to try and keep this kind of like a high level kind of summary as to like with the evolution of the client experience and the advice process. So we started Versa you know, six plus years ago. Um, the intent was to take this traditional, from my perspective, which was a, a product focused, portfolio focused, commission focused, kind of low value financial advice experience and turn it into something that really is personal, it's impactful and it's valuable. And, uh, you know, and try and do that without the traditional kind of conflicts that have impeded the value of advice and the outcomes that clients get. Um, you know, and really help shift the narrative of what it means to be an advisor and what it means to get advice, which is the whole premise of why XY exists really in the first place. Um, and um, so we started, I guess, you know, I'd come out of CBA, had a co-founder at the time, he'd come out of CBA as well. And like we had, we had the intent I just spoke about, but we didn't have the processes and the tools and the systems and so on. It really was a process of kind of leaning into like, what can advice be? Like, what can the advisor do? How great a coach can they be? Like, you know, and trying to move away from this kind of two-dimensional product portfolio focused experience and lean into, you know, the goals, the intentions, the behaviors, the relationships between husband and wife financially, the cash flow, the disciplines, um, you know, the trade-offs, the judgment decisions, all those things. So we've kind of been through this journey, which I guess we're going to be on forever, where we kind of have this curiosity about like, what is the role the advisor plays and how well can they play and how much impact can they have? And I'm sure you have your own version of this story and this experience because what you do now would be, I'm sure, a well-evolved version of what you were doing, you know, five, six years ago when you started as well. Mm. So we've, we've kind of iterated the advice process and all the pillars that that's built on over time. And we've got to a point where we are right now where we've built an approach which is based on the client's values, intentions and financial well-being. So the values are what's important to them, and at the end of the day, really, like what the money's actually for, you know, family, health and well-being, balance, community, security, you know, the things that will bring contentment and satisfaction to their life, you know, because we could be helping them make money and great financial progress. But if they're not content and happy and they're miserable and they don't mm. have the things that are important in their life, then they're not making great choices. If they're not making great choices, we're probably not giving them great advice. So we start with the values, then we get their intentions. So the things they intend to do or achieve in the future. Some advisors are going to call them goals or plans, priorities. We get those. We get up to five. Um, and then the things we plan around and strategize around, we don't strategize around value so much, but we do around the intentions. Um, 
And then we get their financial well-being. So that's a measure of how they feel about their financial life. Because um, my experience is I've had plenty of clients come to us over the years and maybe they've had an advisor for years or they've had advice in the past, but they're still stressed about their money. Mm. Like they're still not confident. They're still not in control of things. They're still fighting with their spouse about the finances. Um, and, you know, you can have an SOA or you can have a retirement plan, but still not feel how you want to feel. And the feelings are what you carry every day. So um, we track and measure people's financial well-being with a score out of 100. There's 32 questions they do kind of on rapid fire of about four and a half minutes on average. And we get that score as part of the onboarding process. And we get it at different points along the client journey to really just kind of dive into how they're feeling, but identify where are the gaps? Like, what are they not feeling great about? And that can be the precursor to a healthy conversation to hopefully resolve it, improve it, and so on. So um, that's kind of how the, I guess, the intent has evolved into really clear philosophies, which are integrated into the client experience. And then what we've sought to do is we've sought to um, make that scalable and kind of make it really technology enabled so that, you know, when, when, I, when I first started, you know, I'd maybe jump into a, we called it a discovery meeting at the time, and I'd lean into the, you know, what are the important things in your life? And what are you trying to achieve? And, hey, I can see there's, there's, there's conflict financially between you, husband, and you, wife, and there's some resentment here. Let's just talk our way through this. But most advisors naturally aren't going to lean into those conversations. They're not going to do them with consistent success as well in a way that's good for them and good for the client. So what we've sought to do is take those three pillars I mentioned and in, integrate it into technology. So now the advisor can sit in the office post-COVID with you know, us Victorians have been locked down for 15 years, so maybe different to <laughs> you. But, but like they can sit there with the iPad in the client's lap, mirror it up on the screen, and they can talk them through the process of clarifying their values and how well they're happening in their life and getting their intentions and defining them and prioritizing them and working through trade-off conversations and get, getting the scores around how they feel about their finances. So they've got this rich data to ask good questions. So you're kind of taking the, um, the artistry of, of advice and the bit that perhaps doesn't come as naturally to a lot of advisors that maybe have the technical chops, but that's the harder part, um, but want to mm. give the meaningful advice and, and, um, you know, and, and build a process where it makes it easier for, for any advisor um, to, to be able to do that. Mate, I, I love it. I'll have to pick your brain on the tech stack around that uh, afterwards, but I think that it is um, key. And I think that for you, like it's one of the things that we focus on is that consistency in the experience as well, that, you know, the more structured you can be with how the advisors are doing what they're doing, the more yeah. that yes, it gives scalability, but that consistency that you know that each client is going to get something that looks and feels pretty similar is what allows you to then refine and evolve and build on, on what, you're, what you're doing and what you're doing as a team as, as well. It's, it's such a great, great point, uh, Ben. And, yeah, that, I mean, that's something we really live here as well. So I think in most advice firms, you know, you have one of a bunch of advisors and, they all kind of do their own thing to a large degree. Like one might have a two-meeting onboarding process and one's got a three or a four and one talks about goals and one just focuses on portfolios and investments and economic conversations and so on. And then you create these advice silos within your business, which comes with risks as well if you're, you know, if you've got your business owner hat on. But setting that aside, it also comes with the risk that you don't have a predictability around the kind of experience that a client's going to get. So no great business is unpredictable and we want to make sure, like I know you do, that when someone comes to, to Verse, we have a real understanding as to what experience they're going to get. 
what steps they're going to go through, how they're going to interact with them, what touch points is going to be. And everything is refined down to like a fine art to a large degree. You can't, you can't refine all of the conversations, of course, um, mm. but, um, you know, making sure there's consistency and predictability to the experience people are going to get and consequently their level of satisfaction and happiness with the experience. And when you, when you, when you have an experience and it's a, it's a process, then you've got something to make better. You know, you can look at it and yep. go, okay, like, you know, all right. So this part of the sequence here, like our conversion has dropped on this part and here's what we think we need to do about it. And here's what it means for the other parts of the process. And it's kind of like, you've got this, you know, almost like it's a, like, like something you're building, right. And you're tinkering with it, adjusting things. And you've got the data that tells you what's working and what's not working. Um, and you can't do that if, you know, you don't have a consistent, you know, one, one kind of client experience approach. Absolutely. And I think it also supports the team. In, I know that you've got, you know, an, an offshore team, plus you're bringing new team members in, associates. And then it, when it's the, when you've got that consistent process, it allows you to train them into it so that they know what they should be doing at the right times. And it honestly blows my mind that I don't know how any business works where, or how the people within a business figure out what they should be prioritizing or how they should do if you're if you're doing things a whole bunch of different ways so i know that for me i'm just naturally process minded um it seems to make sense i know that other people do do it successfully so obviously mm. they know something that i don't but um for me i just think it especially when you're growing and growing building new people into your team it's just something that seems to make a lot of sense um yeah well, I, I think yeah. i think if you i think if you are growing and you don't take that approach where you try and systematize things and create that consistency, what ends up ensuing on the back of the growth is just chaos. Things get chaotic and messy and overwhelming for, for the owner, for, for team. And, you know, there's a lot of businesses that start to grow and then it gets too chaotic. So they decide to go back and be small and stay small and life simpler and easier that way. And, you know, one of the impediments to, to growth is the, the consistency in process and consistency in operations and you know there's no shortcuts to doing that it takes time but it starts with an intent to systematize things and create the create the consistency yeah absolutely i know for us that's a big focus at the moment that it's like you get to the point and you need to find great people and bring them in and then you've got especially when you've got a smaller business you know a dozen people a couple of dozen people um you can easily figure things out but one of the things that's been playing a lot on my mind is that how do you do it if you're five times or ten times the size that you you can't have you can't be diving in when there are issues or you can't have a mm-hmm. you know you've got an ops person that's able to just dive in and address things but if you 10x then it's just not not working in the same way and i think i was actually just chatting to or did our sort of monthly one-on-ones today with our guys and yeah they're going like when you start a business with a blank piece of paper that you don't have all of that stuff in place and you immediately focus go shit well i need clients now obviously Mm -hmm. get some people walking through the door and you do that and then you're like i need to improve that and then can do that better and there's a bunch of different things that happen along the way but then you get to a point and you're like well actually i need it process around our team development and management and then how do we get building that feedback and it's not just the things it's like yeah it's like yeah i mean there's there's so much to it isn't there um it's like a great big jigsaw that you never kind of solve but i think like to to your point in terms of you know when you're kind of scaling and growing much faster and getting much larger and how do you deal with it then i i think the best way to deal with it is is having great people like coming back to the the hiring conversation we started with like 
basically every problem that ever gets solved in a business is solved by a human. Um, and every problem that exists, typically, you can trace back to a human as well. Um, and as like as you grow, I think for a lot of businesses, what happens is the the average quality of your employee gradually diminishes over time. Um, like when you're just starting and it's the founder, a couple others around them, everyone's highly skilled, capable, doing a lot, it's fast paced. And then as you grow, like what you want to do is replicate those kind of high performing employees, but it's not easy just to keep bringing high performer after high performer after high performer. But as you grow and you get these growing pains, if you don't have the quality of team and people to deal with the chaos that naturally develops, it just becomes more chaotic. Um, mm. So just making sure you just keep bringing in high caliber people that can solve problems, deal with problems, get stuff done, um, you know, is, is I, I think for, like, for people like you and I is, is the first thing we need to get right. Because if we get that right, it'll start to make everything else that bit easier. That's right. And I know that for me, it's like, and I think it's a natural tendency that when you're a founder of a business that you, like I'm constantly falling into the trap of going, oh, this needs to happen. I'll do, you know, I need to do this or I need to do that. But one of the things, and I'm really stoked that over the last little bit in our team that we've now got some great people that are really capable, motivated and enthusiastic that they can do a whole bunch of stuff as well. And one of the great things that um, a mutual coach of ours in David Dugan says that he learned from the, uh, the good Sir Richard Branson is that um, he is a massive, they call it a hua, where it's like, like some people go, well, what's the problem or how do yeah, we solve it or when should we yeah. do it? But it's like who can solve this problem for us that it's, I'm really pumped that at this point in our business that we go, okay, well, there's an issue here. Who is the person for that? And um there's a, there's a lot of whoers that you need to talk to about stuff and, and yeah. that, you know, that sort of becomes a job. But, uh, yeah, it is good to, to be able to, like you say, you find those high performers, they're super capable, like give them give them the, um, the resources and then they can solve problems and do things and make everyone's life easier. Very um, well said. Mate, what's um what's I could talk about this stuff all day, obviously, yeah, sure. and, and uh, we'll no doubt do that over a shandy next time that um, – I'm allowed on a plane, but uh, what's uh, what's coming up for you, mate? What are you focused on now? Well, I mentioned to you um, earlier on that we're making two hires at the moment, so you know we're we're growing. We have we have a lot of growing pains, um, I guess, which are good problems to have. Um, we um, we kind of came into January um, short on teammates, you know, knowing that you know our advisors kind of booked out till now booked out to like mid late March. You know, if you want to book an introductory chat on our website a free 30 minute zoom session um you know you can't book it for a month just to just to chat to someone if you've got an inquiry so we've got these capacity challenges and you know we need to solve them by bringing in good people so for the last couple of weeks since i got back from the crisp break like all of my energy most of it's gone into you know running this hiring process um, and doing some of the things that we've spoken about the interviews the cultural interviews the the psychometric tests the role playing all this kind of stuff um so we've as of this morning, actually, we've we've we sent it off for the associate advisor role we're hiring for. I expect, yeah, I expect in the next fortnight that um we will um yeah, have an offer out to another advisor as well, and perhaps soon after need another one too. You know, we end up having 110 leads in January, um, and we we actually cut our marketing budget in half for January, um, because we have these capacity issues, um, and then we then we went and got 110 leads, and I think Jan's a good time wow. to, to to find people looking for advice, of course. For you know all the obvious reasons, but um, yeah. 
you know, at, at, at the moment, my, my focus really in the short term is on, is on hiring good people, um, onboarding them, integrating them into our team, our culture, um, into the role, setting, up, setting them up for success um, and helping our existing team manage the capacity challenges. So we're having constant conversations about people's workloads, their capacity, um, how we delegate things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually jumping back on the tool, so to speak, um, and into the advisor role for the next maybe one, two, three months. Um, you know, I haven't I haven't done that for about eighteen months. I didn't think I was going to be doing it again, but um, you know, just sometimes you just got to grab the shovel and start digging. That's what the team needs. So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to try and balance that in the short term. Um, so these people that reach out to us when they're you know they're kind of motivated to 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 take control of their finances, we can help them build some momentum rather than saying, hey, you can talk to us in four weeks and then six weeks after that you can see an advisor. Um, so. Yeah. In the short term, that'll happen. But I guess more, more broadly, um, you know, beyond kind of hiring and culture, just a lot of my focus goes into into marketing and growth. You know, making sure that we've got the the volume of inquiries and leads coming in, and we've got the right quality of client uh, coming in as well that we can deliver our service to and, and grow around and and continuing to to build on you know the client experience that we've built um, and and improve things and. You know, and help the team more broadly, just kind of improve operations and and uh, and so on as well. So I know there's a few hats there. Um, oh, the one that's on my head right now is like the, the hiring, the hiring <laughs> hat. Um, but um, you know, they're they're kind of the things that consume most of my time now. I probably spend you know th- maybe two, three, four hours a week as an advisor. I've got a few existing clients still looking after, um, but um, you know, largely that's where my where my time's going. Well, mate, that's uh, that can be the topic for our next podcast when we talk about how you've cracked that marketing code. But um, yeah, there's uh, plenty plenty on there, and it sounds like keeping you on your toes. Good luck balancing that with an advisor workload on top of it, mate. So I'll, you, can, you can teach me that efficiency <laughs> trick when we when we chat next as well. well I haven't um, I haven't succeeded yet, so we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go. I do have a good good team around me, fortunately, um, and uh, you know if I need to slow things down a little bit, I will. I'm past that point where I'm going to work 70, 80 hours a week. You know, I've got two kids at home like you do, you know, and, and that just maintaining a good balance in your life becomes like the most important thing. So, um, you know, I'm sure I'll be able to figure that out. Mate, so I look forward to to getting the insights there. Um, and look, really appreciate you 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 giving us some of that gold. Um, my last question for you is that if you could go back to your self, think six and a half odd years ago, you know, opening the uh, doors and throwing down the shingle for the first time, what would be your one big piece of advice that you'd give yourself back then? What a great question. I would um, make sure that I have really good mentors in my corner to have consistent conversations with. I think that was something that I was lacking for a few years early on. Um, and it's something that I've had quite a bit of in the last three to four years. And I think one of the byproducts of having that has meant that um, I have been able to be more commercially minded than I was in those early years. Like I had this, this vision for what advice could be, should be, and so on. And that really drove a lot of my decision making. Um, but, you know, being able to commercialize that and grow that and scale that without working 80, 90 hours a week. Um, you know, being able to pay yourself, pay yourself well, bring on team, pay them well, be profitable. Um, mm. You know, perhaps I could have, perhaps I could have minimized some of the, some of the pain in those first few years um, by you know having having great mentors in my corner that can help you see your blind spots. 
Um, and some of those just natural biases that you take in, but you don't even know their biases. They're just your truths. Yeah. Um, <laughs> your, your truth is what I'm saying, not, not the truth, but your truth. So, um, yeah, uh, make sure you've got great mentors in your corner that have kind of walked the path you want to walk. And ones, ones that can, can talk with a brutal level of honesty with you, I have found them to be the most valuable. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that tell you the things that you naturally don't want to hear, but you know, if you internalize those things, there's quite often so much value in them. Totally, and I think that's the power of a good coach, a good network as well. And I know that that was something, you know, early days, the XY community, I learned a ton from. We sort of came up as well um, with some of that stuff and then bringing in people that have all walked in those shoes before, even just outside of advice um, to, to see is... Um, yeah, thankfully, it's all the muscle that you build and flex and that grows over time. So, you know, no lessons a wasted lesson as long as you're taking the lesson. So, Well said. It's all about the journey. That's right, mate. Well, Corey, thanks again, buddy. Really appreciate you sharing your time, uh, mate. Keep kicking those goals. Thank you, Benny. Appreciate the time, mate, and uh, looking forward to having a beer with you at some point soon. Nice one, bud. All right, cheers, team. Bye for now.